Welcome to Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff, where we interview newsmakers, storytellers, and all-around interesting people. Sit back, relax, uh, unless you're driving, and enjoy the show. Here's Jackson. Hello, hello, hello. I am Jackson Huff. This is Not in a Huff. Thanks so much for joining me. Really appreciate it. This week, just an amazing guest. I am interviewing Lori Beth Denberg. Now, this is just a, an absolute treat, a blast from the past, a, a nostalgic you know, thing from, from my childhood. Um, Lori Beth, she is famous and, and best known probably for starring as an original cast member from all that um, on Nickelodeon. She was on that show from, you know, the... the Early 90s, 1994 to 1998, just when that show started, we're going to talk a little bit about you know, how she was cast in the show, the experience of working for Nickelodeon and on such an iconic uh, show such as all that. Um, we're going to talk you know, what she did afterwards. She was on some other shows, um, what she's been doing in life since then. You know, the, the last time that we saw her you know, regularly every week um, was in 2002 when she wrapped up working on the Steve Harvey show. Um, so a lot of life has happened in, in those years. Uh, so we're going to talk all about that. It was just a, a pleasure just to, to hear about really just kind of the behind the scenes um, that went into making all that, which was absolutely a show that I, I loved as a kid. And, you know, I've watched clips as an adult, um, you know, her and, and her loud librarian sketch or her you're doing all of these cool things with with uh you know keenan and kel uh, they were both on that show as well it, it was vital information uh that was another really big one um his fingerly just just an awesome awesome um show it was it was something that you know meant a lot to a lot of kids growing up we're going to talk about that it meant it just meant a, a lot um you know we kind of had we had kind of a kids version of of Saturday Night Live, if you will, uh, but it was it was just so cool to talk to her. She has a podcast, you know. She's going to talk about that, but I absolutely urge you to check that out. Um, but uh, let's let's quit talking about this. Let's uh, let's actually get into the interview. Hopefully, we can uh, relive uh, a few of your childhoods as well. Um, here is Lori Beth Denberg. I'm here today with Lori Beth Denberg. How are you? I am well, Jackson. How are you? Good. I, uh, I heard you just got your, your first COVID vaccine. How was that? That was a really great experience. And um, I really want everyone to get vaccinated. I don't think that there's a problem with getting a chip in your head if that's what you think happens. Mm. Uh, great. I don't believe that happens. My second vaccination is scheduled for like nine days from now, eight days from now. And I'm looking forward to that. My dad has been fully vaccinated. So that was, and that happened a while ago because he's, he's much older than me. Yeah. So he was eligible a while ago. So that was real peace of mind for me. Not that that means, you know, any of us are out of the woods. I'm still wearing my mask everywhere, all this kind of stuff. But knowing that he was vaccinated made me whoosh, feel a little better. No, what about you? Where are you in sure. this? Yeah, so I, I listened to your, your most recent podcast actually today on my way home from mm. work. And uh, I know you and your, your co-host are kind of in a competition on who's getting their second one first. Yeah. I, win, I win that competition. I got my second one yesterday. Oh, you <laughs> bastard. <laughs> yeah, but because we opened it up to educators early, a little earlier, not as early as some states, but 
I work in, in higher education. So I was able to just start early in March. So Excellent. I'm very pleased for you. Absolutely. Yeah. So your, your, um, zoom name is LB Los Angeles. Do you, do you have a zoom that's, that's stuck in Vermont or, or you just really are tied to Los Angeles or why did you say that? <laughs> no, I, um, end up on, I, I work, uh, with a nonprofit mm. and we'll have a lot of zoom meetings. So I just stick that on there. So they know where I'm coming from. I gotcha. Now that makes sense. So normally, you know, I always start all of these uh, podcast ask, you know, tell me a little bit about, you know, growing up. Cause obviously we know what you did after that. So let's kind of get get into that. Um, All right. so we, we met you really kind of when you were 18 years old on, on all that. Uh, what, what was, what was life growing up? What did you do until then? Because you kind of seen as a child star, but I, really, we didn't really meet you till you were 18. Yeah. That's what's, um, pretty interesting is that people, Luckily, and I know it's a good thing, think I'm younger than I am. So they nobody ever thought I was that old. Everyone thought they met me on all that when I was like 13 or who knows what. But um, but I was all grown up. No, I wasn't. So that was a very interesting aspect to my involvement because you had all the rest of the cast. I think the the next oldest after me was 13. I think a couple of the boys were 13, 12 to 13. And then there was an 11 and 10 year old, but I was, you know, the oldest by a good chunk of years. And more importantly, the good chunk of years that meant I didn't have to go to school. So I had a very different experience um, because I just kind of like strolled in when it was time to act and do the show. And, um, And, you know, they were all together doing the school and all that kind of stuff and fighting all day like kids will. Um, But I kind of had my own deal and hung out uh, a lot more with the the staff and the crew of the of the show and kind of ran around. You know, then I'm older. I have my own car. I could run around Orlando and kind of do whatever I like. I really love Orlando. It's kind of like my college town where I went and you know, sometimes I went to class and I always did my work. I was an A student while I was working on all that, but then I would just go, you know, and of course, like the lamest college student, it's not like I was going to, you know, keg parties and like whooping it up. I'd be like, I'm going to Disneyland again to watch the fireworks. Yeah. You know, it was, I used to do that maybe three or four times a week. So you went to Disneyland as a Nickelodeon star. Is that allowed? I know. Well, I wore a disguise. Yes. Yes. Absolutely allowed. I had my little, I had my, my pass to all the parks. I got that thing where you can just go and I would go after work a lot of times and park my car and take the monorail from the parking lot to the front gate and go to Fantasyland and sit in the spot that I like to sit to watch the fireworks and then take the ferry boat back to the parking lot. It was this kind of little tradition I had. And it, I mean, I love fireworks more than anything. And Disneyland fireworks are at the top of the yummy list. So it's just, you know, of course you're going to like that. Like, oh, I love Orlando. What a shock. I got to go there, do what I always wanted to do, get paid for it and go watch fireworks. It's not, you know, it does not a bad deal. No, not at all. And you said you got to, to do what you always wanted to do. So growing up, you know, you, you, you didn't act in a way, at least that, that we 
I, I guess that you made it big, but did you always want to be a, an actor? Yeah, I really gravitated toward it. Um, in the first grade, maybe before the first grade, I'm trying to remember, there's this one kind of community theater thing I did where we did the show Free to Be You and Me, which is awesome. If you don't know it, look it up. It's a book and ah, you're too young. How dare you be too young? <laughs> Free to Be You and Me by Marlo Thomas. Um, it's just stories and songs and poems and stuff for kids that really teach some great life lessons that makes it sound hokier than it is but um I can't remember if I did that one before first grade but definitely in first grade uh my teacher did plays we would do plays and all this kind of stuff and I just loved it I was right immediately hooked into that into doing like chorus and choir and performing and stuff like that so it was just kind of instantaneous. I loved it. I knew everyone's lines. I put the most energy into that. And that just continued until, I mean, until today, you know, until I, until I get my next job, Knockwood. Yeah. So is it true? You know, I, I read that you the basically the first acting um, audition you went to was all that and you got it. Is, is there truth to that? There is. I, that was my first professional audition and I was scouted from um, a showcase. Uh, I had done a, a scene that won first place in a drama competition and there was a showcase of all the first place scenes and all the different categories. Mine was a two person comedy scene. Shockingly, it was a comedy scene. And um, the producers from all that were scouting for kids for the cast and they saw that they called me into audition and that's how I got the job. Yeah, that's that. I don't think that's generally the, the story most people have. So that's really cool that you were able to, to, exactly. to book that. Now did that, you know, that, you know, I guess when, when it comes to like people that get addicted to gambling, they win big that first time and then they think they're going to do it every time. Did that kind of jade you later? Like I'm not getting every job that I go out for. This is weird. <laughs> Well, fortunately and unfortunately, my career kind of snowballed in that same way. I went from doing all that to uh, another show called Figure It Out on Nickelodeon, which is a game show. And I was on the first three seasons of that, um, which obviously I didn't audition for it. They were taking other Nickelodeon, you know, actors from other shows and putting them on this game show. So that came from that. And then my next big job was um, the Steve Harvey show. And that came to me as well because they had a specific part and the casting assistant on the Steve Harvey show said to her boss, hey, you know what? We should call in that girl from Nickelodeon because she thought I'd be right from the, for the part. So then, you know, they, they call up Nickelodeon where a friend of mine happens to answer the phone. She passes the message on to me. And so that job came to me as well. So of course I just think, well, this is just the way it works and I'm just lucky. I mean, I am lucky. I, that was never, it was never like, of course this comes to me. I'm so talented and amazing. You know, that wasn't the vibe, but it was like, I've gotten these jobs. I'm good at it. Being good at it means I keep the job, means someone else sees me and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But that is not the way the business generally works. 
So, you know, you can't take things for granted. I certainly learned you can't take the money for granted because I definitely used that up and, you know, found myself like, like most actors and most people saying, how am I going to pay the rent? You know, and, and saying, well, I'm just going to get a job on a sitcom isn't a realistic way to do that. So I did, I was going to say, I did what I had to do. Like it was so terrible. Like I worked at a prison dumpster and sold my body on the street. You know, I did whatever jobs came up and some of them I was good at and some of them I enjoyed and some of them were a drag and a drain. And then I, um, you know, over that span as well, got some acting jobs here and there. So it's never out of the, you know, it's funny, you'll you get a lot of like, whatever happened to, like when you're not on TV every day yeah. in some new thing, people are like, oh, that poor girl, she must be, you know, <laughs> yeah. she must have burned out and she's in the gutter. Yeah. It's like, where are they now? And it's like, well, I'm, I'm right here. So it's cool. Right. Where are you now? I don't know where you are either. I just don't need to write a write an article about it. Right. No, I like that. No, I, I see those all the time. And, you know, I I would be lying to say that sometimes I'm like, like, hmm, I wonder where this person is. And then you read it. I mean, it's everyone loves, I guess, kind of that. Uh, I don't know the gossip. That's just I don't know. It's what the, makes the world go around. And yeah. I have and I have seen some with your name on them for sure. Yeah, it's everyone loves a good fall from grace. But um, that's the funniest thing is because I see whenever there's like a clickbait thing with my picture on it, it's Uh still really weird to me. It doesn't occur to me or I'll see like memes with Uh me, you know, of of a picture of me. And it's just like, that's so weird. But um, people will send me like clickbait, you know, whatever happened to. But my favorite one is because everyone, a lot of people say to me, you look exactly the same. They say to me, you look exactly the same. So I liked the one once that was like, you'll never guess what Lori Beth Denberg from Nickelodeon looks like now. <laughs> and you just click it. And I like, look, ex- the same. <laughs> just right. really like that one was pretty, pretty funny. But so I'm clickbait, which is, you know, an honor in this day and age. Yeah, you. I guess you just you take it as it comes, I, I suppose. So absolutely. So when when all that started, you know, obviously all of these shows, you never know what's actually going to happen. Sometimes things go well, sometimes they flop. Um, I mean, was, was Nickelodeon, did they, did they think that, you know, before it even started, that they had something, you know, iconic, what it turned out to be on their hands, or were they like, eh, we'll try this out and we'll see, see whether it works or not. Well, I don't, you know, I get asked that question a lot that you kind of asked, which is like, when you were doing this show, did you know that it would be such a cultural, you know, icon? And it's like, no, of course not. You know, they, like any, like, I'm sorry to burst everyone's bubble, but like every TV show ever, they're hoping it's, you know, popular enough to get advertisers to make money off of, you know, that's the, it's a business, you know, and then beyond that, you go into the stuff that's, you know, that, that happens like us doing a good show that was popular. So we got to stay on and do more. And then because it was good, because it was a good show, 
kids liked it, their parents liked it, it became part of their childhoods. And that's what I get all the time, especially since I've started the podcast, I'm getting more and more feedback of um, people saying you were such a big part of my childhood. Somebody just wrote in the other day, and this is not atypical. She wrote in with a question for, I keep saying my podcast. I have a podcast called Bad Advice with Lori Beth Denver. Right. Yeah. So it's sold wherever fine podcasts are sold, except <laughs> it's free. Um, and so this chickie wrote in with a question and then it, she said at the end of the question, she says, this isn't for the, this isn't for the podcast, but she went on to tell me how much the show meant to her because she would go to her father's house on weekends where she was abused. She said there was an abuser there, but she got to watch the show and it helped her get through like that. That is what you could never predict, you know, yeah. sitting there going like, well, today Miss Fingerly gets her dress blown up over her head by a tornado made of fish, you know, mm -hmm. that's the kind of thing that there's no way not only to know, oh, this is going to stand the test of time, which is only like 25 years in the scheme of the universe, 25 years, it's not a lot, but um, that the 90s kids hold it so close to their heart. And the results of that, that I get feedback from, I was gay, get, uh, you know, people say I was gay growing up. I got picked on a lot, but you guys made me laugh. You know, we didn't have a lot of money and, but we would make a special Saturday night, you know, thing to watch all that. It's, I'm getting so many of these stories mm -hmm. and I have for years, but now that like, you know, social media is what it is and that people are directly reaching out to me through all that stuff for the podcast. It's that I could never, never, never have anticipated. No, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely a show that I watched growing up and, and I still like to watch clips on, on YouTube of, of old episodes, but uh, I actually, I actually, you know, I told one of my coworkers that I was interviewing you and she, she had a question and it's not necessarily one that, you know, would ever come from my perspective. So let me make sure that I read it correctly here. <laughs> um, so Elizabeth, my coworker, she said, she said, she spoke, she spoke to me about, um, being younger and being a full-figured woman herself that um, you were a great source of inspiration to her growing up and it wasn't something that it wasn't something I guess that I was necessarily aware of but she thought that she she found somebody on tv that just felt like her and she she was just a big inspiration did you realize that at the time that you were inspiring a lot of people that I guess didn't that you know different different I guess than than some of the other people on tv I did not because there's, well, Jackson, I'm tasking you with going back and listening to all the bad advice podcasts. Yeah. We did a podcast solely on uh, body image and weight. And I talked a lot about my experiences. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I, I dragged that work, that word out a lot. My uh, experiences in, I mean, in all facets of my life, but I have that same self-doubt and that same, you know, feeling shitty and not, I was, 
you know, plagued with all of that and feeling bad and look at that other girl. She's so pretty and I'll never be that. But I was still getting up in front of cameras and audiences and doing my thing and doing what I was good at. But again, just like the other, you know, kids that said how it helped get them through bad situations, it never occurred to me that some somebody would be at home going like, oh my gosh, look what she can do. Maybe I can not necessarily be an actor, but just I've heard from, you know, plenty of plenty of, of chickies and dudes that say, you know, I was really overweight or I've never felt comfortable in my body and seeing you up there being funny and loud and crazy really was an inspiration to me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that who gets that kind of feedback from their job? Right. You know, that's kind of remarkable. That's really, really remarkable Mm -hmm. in a lot of, you know, instances. So it's, it's, it's always like, there's not one time so far that I've gotten one of those, you know, you inspired me and I have this and this that I don't go like, oh, that's great. Every time I'm like, my mind is blown. It, it makes me well up. I can't believe it. And then I can't believe that it was so that it's so potent to this person that they would even like actually write to me and want to let me know that. So it's bananas. It's really is. For sure. Yeah. And that I'll tell you that that question I didn't necessarily want to ask because I don't want to talk about somebody's body image, but it seems so important to her to, I guess, to, to let you know, I guess that inspiration. So I'm glad that you see it that way, that it's, it's a, you know, something to, an accomplishment really and not not anything else because if you could yeah. tell I, I choked through trying to ask you that question what's her name elizabeth elizabeth you're awesome and she is she's pretty and awesome. i i'd give you a if we knew where each other were and it wouldn't possibly murder us both i would give you a big hug there you go <laughs> no that's i like that i like that um so you know with with the sketches that you were you're in and all that um, you know, in the adult sketch shows, I know they have some input in characters and sketches. You, know, you were a little bit older. Did you have any input in, you know, creating any of these these sketches or any of the characters that you played, or did you just come in and play what they told you to play? Uh, initially, well, I always play what they tell me to play, but that's <laughs> my job to make it work. But you know, initially they just gave us what they gave us. And what happened on all that was as the writers got to know the cast better, they could start to write to our strengths. Mm-hmm. So their, their choice of characters or what the characters kind of turned into were really based on our strengths. You get there and you don't know that Kel is the most amazing physical comedian that'll like turn himself into a pretzel and jump off the ledge to to get the laugh because and he's just that way too he's so energetic and such a goofball so then you go okay he could do that so here's coach Creighton that gets you know things thrown at him and always gets blown up and all that kind of stuff and you get something like the island girls um which is a sketch I did with Elisa where we were on a desert island and that came from me being 18 and kind of sarcastic and Elisa being 11 and really annoying and them saying, 
okay, what if they were trapped on a desert island, you know, and took that dynamic and made this, this sketch out of it with these characters that people love and, and which plays to our strengths. At that point, it was not hard to act annoyed with Elisa. Now she's <laughs> lovely. It's so funny the difference between, you know, being a kid, because I was a kid. Yeah, I was 18. I could vote or go in the army, but I'm still a kid. And um, so, you know, we're having fun. We're doing all this stuff. But I, I know that Danny Tamborelli and Mark Saul ended up writing uh, some sketches later in the, in the later uh, years after I left. But overall, it was just um, really getting to play characters that were more set to our strengths right. and really being able to make something out of it based on that. No, that, that's a huge thing. And, and with, with the rest of the cast being so much younger, you know, obviously there, there would be annoying times, I'm sure of that, just like you were talking about. So did you find yourself, I guess, kind of being more like a mentor, big sister, or more of a, let's get a, our stuff done and so I don't have to hang out with the, in the sandbox? <laughs> I would say I was a little bit of the grouchy big sister, even today. <laughs> Even today, it's kind of a joke when we get together for, uh, because, you know, people might not know this, but actors on a TV show or movie, they're called talent. It's the talent. And they treat the talent so nicely. Can I get you some water? What do you need? Let me get that for you. And so everybody's, you know, overly nice, which I don't think is the greatest thing. But as talent, I don't have to treat the other talent like that. Mm. So I'll be like, yell just like, everyone pay attention. Like I'm kind of like a grumpy camp counselor. And even to this day, like we were at some con, some like comic, I think it was Kamikaze con. And the rest of the, I still call them the kids. The rest Mm. of the kids were, you know, who are now like 30 and 40, it's ridiculous. But, um, they're all talking to their individual people's where people were in the green room. The woman wants us to come out that's working for the con to get on our panel. And nobody's really, she's like, hey, it's time to go. So I, with my loud voice, which we all know I have, I'm like, all that kids, let's go. <laughs> and then Josh is always like, Lori Beth hasn't changed at all. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, let's go. There you go. Well, then you you served your purpose and you're still serving it, it sounds like. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, another, uh, this this question I'm sure you get and, and you either can answer it or you, or you can't, but what are maybe your favorite characters that you played? Aha. Uh-huh. I can answer it. Yeah. I would say, like, it would be great to say the loud librarian is my favorite character. Mm-hmm. It is very cathartic to do. Like to just throw shit and like <laughs> yell, but it, it's, it's not my favorite just because it is really physically demanding. Oh, yeah. It is exhausting and it is um, a really difficult sketch to do because I deal with so many props mm-hmm. and, and I'm yelling and I throw so much shit at people that there's a real 
it takes extraordinary concentration because I don't want to hurt anybody. Even with like a fake lobster, I could still hurt somebody that I'm mm. throwing it at. So there's a lot of precision to it and a lot of care taken. Plus on top of that being not so. Um, so I have been saying that Miss Fingerly was my favorite character who was the teacher. Mm. And that's, you'll notice if you watch all that, maybe from beginning to end, characters start out being their, themselves and then it gets wacky and then they all go crazy. Mm-hmm. Like every character just goes nuts. And Miss Fingerly went nuts pretty early on. You know, at first I was just the school mom and very proper and blah, blah, blah. Um, but then you have to keep going with it. And I played Miss Fingerly in, I would say virtually every show. I, pr- I probably did her once a week. I got really good at helping them put that wig on, you know, the makeup. It was, you know, really something I did almost every week. And because of that, we have to keep pushing it and making her crazier and crazier and crazier. And so some of the stuff I ended up doing was just really funny. You know, you go from being the school marm who's like very, very proper, don't talk in class. And then I was just at my friend's house and we watched a sketch where it was an Oprah sketch, okra, Kel played okra and Miss Fingerly was there. And I ended up making out with Keenan who was playing Lester Oaks construction worker. Mm -hmm. So, and just funny and weird and, like very far from the school marm, you know? So once you start like kicking up the characters a notch, they end up in all of these crazy places. And I think because I got to do Miss Fingerly so much, I got to end up in a lot of crazy places. So that always, that holds a, a special place in my heart. Well, there's the answer. We have it. So overall, you know, with, with, with all that, I mean, obviously it was an enjoyable show to watch and I'm sure for the most part, an enjoyable show to, to film. Um, but was the overall experience good? I mean, there has been things come out with, I guess, some of the adults in the room that wasn't as, as great. So did you have a, a really positive experience? Um, no, not necessarily. There's two sides to everything. Oh yeah. Um, like I said, it is a business. Nickelodeon is a business built on kids and, and any business wants to make money and all that kind of stuff. So there's not always, I mean, we know from our, you know, the macrocosm of our country, let's just look at that people at the top don't always have a lot of uh, compassion or are very interested sometimes in the effects of their actions on some people. And that is definitely true of, of the entertainment business and especially, you know, working with kids. There's a reason that it's a cliche about, you know, child stars going insane and going on shootouts and doing drugs, you know, there's a reason for that. And it's because it's not a healthy environment to be in. It's like when I told you before how every, the, the, the actors get treated like talent, very special. What can I do for you? And that's not a great way to treat kids. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, I'm not saying you should like pull them by the scruff of the neck and say, it's time for your goddamn scene, you know, but 
it's not a realistic version of the world. And I think that maybe a lot of child stars get out of that and they're like, not on the set anymore. And they're like, well, how come no one's asking me if I want water? Why isn't someone bringing me my lunch? You know, or just treating them with those kid gloves. Um, And that I think can have a, a devastating kind of culture shock on a kid who's grown up in, in show business. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, that wasn't real. So that's the one side of it. The other side of it, just as far as, you know, you saying, was it a, a good experience? It set me up with like a master's degree in television because doing a sketch comedy show is like doing 10 sitcoms a week. And I like devoured all of that knowledge. I went to everyone in the building and Nickelodeon Studios and said, what's your job? What part of the show do you work on? You know, to the script supervisors, to the lighting guys, to anyone, because I was so into it. And so coming out of all that, I knew my shit. I knew how to find the camera. I knew about the audio. I knew what everyone's jobs were. I had respect and understood the work that everyone else was doing. And that just like put me on a set right now anywhere. And I just have this base of knowledge and confidence in confidence in my part of the machine that will make a TV show or a movie. Mm-hmm. And, and that is in, invaluable. Like I came out of there with, and none of this, none of this has to do with acting or like emotion or anything like that, you know, that you still have to be able to do a good job of it. But the, the technical training that I was able to get just by being there and being old enough to appreciate it and being interested in learning it has made the biggest difference in, in, my ability to step into another job and just be on the ball. Right. Right. And you talk about, you know, leaving all that and stepping into another job. Tell us just a little bit about, you know, the, the decision to, to leave the, the show and then uh, stepping into your role with uh, the Steve Harvey show. Well, I was, I think I was 21 or 22. Nickelodeon did not pay a lot of money. Hmm. And I, you know, was negotiating and what they came back with, I said, no, you know, and I'm 22 years old. And for a lot of the reasons I described before, it was not always a great place to work. And it was fine for me to step aside. I was just like, you know, no, I do. You know, at some point I was able to just say, no, you're getting more from me than you want. You're getting more from me than you want to give to me. And you're Mm. pretending like I don't know the difference. That's part of it. They're used to dealing with kids. Mm -hmm. And I was 22 and very acquainted with the workings of it. And I was just like, no, I'm done with this. I'm, I'm done. And that was fine. And also it's like, us. I mean, I looked young, whatever, but they had new cast members coming in. People were, it wasn't like, you know, I was the, the main character of a sitcom and I left, mm-hmm. you know, it was a sketch comedy show and people came in and out. So it wasn't, 
like I was totally screwing over a group of people. And, and so I just left and I did, I had done figure it out. I think I had, I had booked um, the Steve Harvey show as a guest star. Um, like I, I think I had said before the casting agent, they had a part and the casting's agent's assistant thought, oh, Lori Beth from Nickelodeon would be good. So they got me into audition. I got that part. And I just knew halfway through the first week that I was going to be a regular on the series through the end of it. I just kind of knew it. I, it's just a feeling, you know, and that's what happened. I joined the cast and it was, I mean, definitely an example of what I learned working on all that technically with about production, like, they were just kind of amazed. They were like, how do you know that? And I'm like, and at the time I don't realize it because I hadn't been on a bunch of different sets to see the way different things worked. That had been my only experience. And I had really chosen to take it in and learn everything I could. And so, you know, I get there, I know my stuff and it's kind of like, you know, we're not really used to people knowing their lines that well, let alone how to find their camera. So I think that they were impressed by that. And, you know, besides all that other stuff, I'm, I'm good at my job as an actor and it just kind of clicked. Yeah. And so from, from what I read, it looked like that the Steve Harvey show ended in 2002, 2001, 2002. And then we, we seen you in, I guess randomly in, in quite a few different things, Malcolm in the Middle, Workaholics, Dodgeball. So did you ever, I guess, make a conscious effort to, to take a step back or was that not necessarily of your, uh, your choosing? It was, I talk on the podcast about um, that I'm sober from drugs and alcohol. So at a certain point, I it wasn't that I took a step back. It was that I chose not to pursue it. I always wasn't, I already wasn't pursuing it because when you're just doing drugs all day, you're not like, well, let me go try to find a job as well. Like, let me go network. So that wasn't happening. But then when I did get sober, I was smart enough to say, well, now I need to, you know, figure out what I'm doing. I'll be in a big movie and that'll solve everything. You know, I took what jobs... I could from dog walking to, you know, working in an office to being a writer, like all this different stuff, whatever, whatever I needed to do to pay my bills, just like every other normal human being mm -hmm. and being an actor, working, not being an actor, but making a living as an actor wasn't there at that time. I just needed to build up my life and get on my feet and start to, you know, be in a position where I could get back to saying, okay, now what do I want to do? Plenty of people live friggin' hand to mouth and they say, I can't get out of this job. I can't get out of this job. I can't find something better. I can't get, get another job because I don't have the experience. So I, you know, all that kind of stuff is what most people go through. No, maybe not most, a lot of people. Mm -hmm. You know, there are some people that are lucky enough, lucky enough to have the schooling and have the opportunity to step back and say, okay, what do I want to do? You know, but for a lot of people, you just do what you have to do to get 
you know, a roof over your head and food on the table and keep going. And so that's what I did. And eventually I got a job. Actually, it was my co-host from the Bad Advice podcast, Clark, who was working as a copywriter in an ad agency. And they were looking for someone, a writer, and he brought me in and said, he vouched for me and said, you know, I think you might be a good fit. So I got there and I, you know, I did a good job. I, I wrote, I think my first day there, I wrote something that ended up getting made because most of the stuff you write and most of the stuff anybody writes about anything in the world ends up going in the trash. You know, the amount of sitcom pilots that never were dwarfs the amount that were, that have been, or ever will be. So, you know, most of the ideas and concepts and outlines and stuff that we would write at the ad agency, you know, was like, no, 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 thank you. But I got one my first or second day. They were like, okay, we'll use that one. So I eventually started, you know, working there more regularly and was brought on freelance and I sold, um, I sold, I wrote a series of spots for this video game and they loved them and we went to go shoot them. And so now all of a sudden I'm on a set and I know exactly what's going on because that's what I know how to do. And I know that you make friends and I wasn't an actor in them at all. I was the writer and kind of help, helping produce a little bit just like a writer sometimes does because you kind of know the intent and whatever and dealing with the, um, you know, the clients and that kind of stuff. But all of a sudden I'm on this set that's like my natural habitat. And I remember uh, kind of like on the Steve Harvey show when I came in and I really knew my stuff and them going like, how does she know that? My boss at the ad agency, I heard say the same thing when I was like, explain what this is. And I really seem to know what I'm doing. And he goes, how does she know that? And that was this turning point where I said, this is what I know how to do. I know how to be a, on a soundstage and be part of a production. You know, it is my intent. And I have worked as a writer and a producer in the past. So that is definitely a goal to be part of production. But at this point, I'm probably most helpful as an actor. So that was this turning point where I said, okay, I need to, I've been doing for a few years what I need you to get by. And it's time for me to try to figure out how to get back to doing what I do. And since then, that was, holy cannoli, eight years ago, mm -hmm. eight to nine years ago. And even that, just because I'm a great procrastinator. <laughs> and, you know, you're scared of failure, scared of success, all that stuff. Um, you know, but over the last few years, no, more than that. You know, what I would do is start to take, I get offers all the time from random people who write to me and say, I've got this, you know, short film that I'd love for you to be in. And sometimes I say yes if they sound like a sane human being, 
And if they, you know, it's like, there's ones you definitely say no to, like, can you come to Dallas for 17 weeks for $500? We want you to be in a movie and there's misspellings and, you know, you just go, I'm not going to, I'm not going to respond to that one. But there have been a few that I've said yes to that I've been part of like amazing projects. And not only am I able to be part of an amazing project, but there are 90s kids now that are that are helming these and writing and directing and producing them. So for them, which is so funny, they're always like, it's so amazing you agreed to do this. And they'll be like, Lori Beth, what can I get you? Like I get there and they ask, <laughs> they treat me like talent. And I always say like, you're being much nicer to me than I deserve. You know, <laughs> or they'll be starstruck and I'll say, you'll be sick of me in about eight minutes. Don't worry. <laughs> hey, all right. No, that's, that's funny. Another thing obviously that came up, you know, relatively recently is, you know, kind of the full circle and all that restarted. Um, what did you think when, when that, uh, when they decided to, to get things going again and, and do another, all that with uh, obviously a young cast? That was, that was a really fun idea. It didn't surprise me, I guess, hmm. but I was like, oh, that's really, really cool. And then uh, they reached out to a few of us from the original cast mm-hmm. to be part of it. And that was really interesting because I didn't, you know, I expected us to go, you know, go to do the first scene and be like, oh, we're too old to do this show. I wish there was younger kids. Mm-hmm. And then they come in and we pass the torch. Mm-hmm. But I got the first script and it said, you know, a loud librarian sketch you know, and it said a vital information sketch. And I was like, wait a minute, this is crazy. But the vital information sketch was was just me passing the torch oh, yeah. to um, my beautiful little Reese, who's such a button that I can't even stand it. So yeah, going back to do that was, it was a trip. Kevin Coppolo and Heath Seifert are running the show and they were the like two two of the mainstay writers of the original all that and they are just besides being really funny and really hardworking, they are just two of my favorite human beings in the world I feel you know it's just it's all pretty it's all pretty smishy over there well, that's, that's <laughs> a good thing that's awesome now that I'm glad, glad to hear that I know that uh, I've kept you kind of on nostalgia lane for a, a long time so let's actually talk about what you're doing now <laughs> Um, you know, that's, that's, that's the reason why you're, you're here. Let's talk a little bit about uh, your podcast. And then, you know, I use the word nostalgia. No one wants to necessarily be a nostalgia act, but you do because you also went out and did a nostalgia personified tour. So you're kind of, you're grabbing that nostalgia word and you're just living it and owning it. <laughs> it is, you know, that's really funny is that people say, uh, you know, oh, what's it like? And, you know, the questions that you asked, did you know at the time? And it's like, of course I didn't. But now I am nostalgia, which is really weird. Like, doesn't that inherently make me really old? When adults came up and say, you were such a big part of my childhood. <laughs> but um, yeah, that was uh, the year before the pandemic hit was, I had such a great experience going out with Danny Tamborelli and um, Jeremy Balin doing the nostalgia personified tour all that edition um danny had done with mike morona a pete and pete edition 
And he got this idea after Danny and I uh, did a, we did a digital series called the Tonopah Five, which T-O-N-O-P-A-H, you can look it up on Facebook um, or Instagram, all the places I'm sure. And, um, but Danny had come in and we had been um, kind of romantic leads in it, which is really gross. You didn't see anything. You didn't see anything, but we were like friends and, you know, there was like a romance thing between us, but everything happened off camera. But if we come back for a second season, I'm just pretty sure we're going to have to kiss. And so that's like super <laughs> gross. And I do want to do it again. It's a great project and I really love working with all the people, but I'm kind of like, if it doesn't happen, that'll be okay. Cause I won't have to kiss Danny. <laughs> but um, so from the, the fun that we had and the rapport that we had, which we already knew we had working on that, he got the idea to do the nostalgia personified all that edition. So we went on three or four trips together Danny, myself, and Jeremy Balin. And Jeremy, is he was the moderator, producer, and third cast member of the show. But those are just some of the best memories I'd had in a long time of going on these trips with the two of them and driving from gig to gig and meeting the people that wanted to come out and see us. And lots, oh, pre-pandemic, lots of hugs, lots of, oh, speaking of hugs. Okay, listen, I want everyone to get vaccinated, okay? So I am starting a campaign. It's called One Million Hugs. Mm. Hashtag One Million Hugs. O-N-E-M-I-L-L-I-O-N-H-U-G-S. And this is when enough people are vaccinated. When Dr. Fauci gives the okay, I am gonna set up a booth <laughs> and give out one million hugs. Oh my. This is what's happening. <laughs> but for that to happen, well, I guess for that to happen, people want to get a hug from me anyway. So they would have to like, there would have to be a demand. I'm not going <laughs> to force hugs on people, but say enough people would like to be part of that. It's my little campaign to encourage people to get vaccinated mm. because the only way we're going to start to get through this is if everybody really just gets it and not just gets the vaccination, but gets, understands what we're living through and what we're doing. Um, you know, I'm still, my dad is vaccinated. He still wears a mask everywhere we go because people that aren't vaccinated, you know, all this stuff and there's all the misinformation, who knows what, I mean, I know you just listened to the last episode of my podcast where we touched on that. But if you just need a clear goal and you're interested, get vaccinated, tell your friends to get vaccinated, spread the word. You can um, share uh, the information about it from my social media. And we're starting the hashtag, hashtag 1 million hugs. If that is any incentive to anyone out there listening to get their vaccines, and to really keep taking the COVID protocol seriously, when it is safe, I am gonna give out 1 million hugs. And that might be going state to state and setting up a booth at the fair. I don't care what it is, but this is all I want. I don't, you know, if everyone needs some incentive, if you wanna get a hug from me, that can be your incentive, whatever it takes. 
I like it. So when people did come up to you back in the day, or back in the day, two years ago, you know, you're your game for, for these hugs, you were never one that's like, oh gosh, not again, not another person going to tell me how much they loved all that or something like that. No, that is, I always say I'm really lucky that I didn't play a villain on a soap opera or something, mm-hmm. you know, because those are the people that, that fans, fans come up to and say, you're terrible. <laughs> or how could you, how could you steal Savannah's baby and sell it to the, you know, Uh, generally all the people that are coming up to me are full of nostalgia and love and memories and all that kind of stuff. So it is really wonderful. Sometimes you do just want to go looking like shit to the grocery store at two in the morning to buy ice cream and tampons. And it's not, there might be a little like, ugh, internally when someone's like, are you from all that? But I'm not gonna, that's not what comes out to the, like, I don't go, yes, I'm from all that, <laughs> but I need these items and I'm not interested in talking to you. You know, that's just not, that's just not part of the equation. Right. Well, that's a Even good under those dire circumstances. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a good thing. I'm glad to hear that. Cause I don't think everyone's probably quite like that. So, so I, I like to hear that. Yeah. Well, I'm also not like, famous like people have this idea you watch tmz and you see people being followed by a million you know cameraman and stuff it's like that is not me i go wherever i'm going so i am nobody is tearing at my car doors to try to get a shot of like a nip slip or anything you know (laughs) i'm well known and i'm famous to the people who who are so excited to see me but on the level of you know fame i'm i'm recognizable and i'm approachable please if you meet someone that you consider a celebrity don't have them call your friend at home to say hi that's the really (laughs) worst thing because it's like it's so awkward and you know but i'll sign an autograph take a picture. you know everyone has their camera phone you know so you know a lot of selfies a lot of pictures used to be a lot of hugs hopefully it'll be more hugs soon And don't just start singing the all that theme song a little (laughs) bit away from me. Like I'm going to like be drawn to it. That's the worst one. (laughs) Yeah. That's the worst one. That's funny. Well, that ruins the end of the interview. I was just going to have you call a chain of people. (laughs) No, but I, I, so I want to make sure that people know where to, to find you, where to connect. Um, you know, I, I asked you about the, the podcast. I want you to, to shout that out even more than what you have. So Yes, yes, yes. It's called Bad Advice with Lori Beth Denberg. It is a legitimate advice show. I got stuck on the name Bad Advice because I thought it was goofy. Mm-hmm. But we actually give good advice. And it's funny and it's honest. If you um, listen, you will learn a lot about me. There's a lot, you know, of experiences I've had in my life apart from being an actor. And a lot of that comes through as I, you know, relate to listeners that send in sometimes goofy, ridiculous questions, sometimes really serious, you know, heartfelt issues that they're going through. And then there's a little bit of fun with, you know, me and my, my co, my coworker, my co-host Clark Crozer, we've been friends for about 40 years and grew up together. So we have just 
you know, 40 years worth of stories to put out there. So it's, it's really fun and it's, um, can be really deep as well. So please check it out. It's available wherever fine podcasts are found. So yeah, Bad Advice with Lori Beth Denberg. And we, we just, uh, we're still new. We just uh, recorded our 21st episode. So we're just a few months in, um, but we're really, really liking it. No, it's, it's, it's definitely a, a, a good show. I mean, as far as comedy and then some of these silly questions, but some, you're right. Some of these questions that you've gotten are just extremely like deep and I'm, and I'm just kind of surprised based on some of your, some of your vital information sketch. I'm like, dang, that's a pretty good, that's pretty good advice actually. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. They're a little, a little more in-depth answers than a vital information would be. Yeah. Oh, we're at Ask Lori Beth for the podcast on all the socials and AskLoriBeth.com. Oh, but the coolest thing, shut up, I almost forgot, hmm. is that we have um, like a hotline number to call in for the podcast hmm. to leave messages. So it's like super old school. It's 1-855-DENBERG, my last name, 1-855-D-E-N-B-E-R-G. And we love getting these questions through the voicemail. It's so awesome. So everybody write in with a question about whatever. Yeah, certainly. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. I don't want to take up any more of your time. I really appreciate you being here and and people should definitely check out the podcast. I really appreciate you having me. I've enjoyed myself very much. Well, good, good. And that was my interview with Lori Beth Denberg. So cool to speak with her. Really appreciate her time. Just a, an amazing walk, kind of through, you know, some of the the coolest parts of uh, so, some of the coolest parts of growing up. Really, it, it was just a, a such such an honor to to speak with her. So cool that uh, she decided to take a few moments uh, to tell us just a little bit about uh, all that, and you know, the the good things, but also some of the some of the bad things that come as a, a child actor. And and uh, there's certainly struggles there, and and I really appreciate her being candid about that. Definitely check out her podcast, Bad Advice with Lori Beth Denberg. Really cool podcast. I really enjoy it myself. I, I urge you to check that out. Um, where, where all fine podcasts are found. You can find it the same place that you found, found this one, wherever that may be. Really appreciate her being here. Really appreciate you being here. Thanks so much. Um, it's sure to, sure to have another awesome guest next week, so stay tuned for that. Do want you to to uh, subscribe or follow or whatever that may be um, in, on Instagram too um, at Not in the Huff Podcast. Go uh, go uh, follow there too. Really appreciate it. You'll be able to see you know what uh, what guest I've already spoken to and, and upcoming guest. Um, so again, thanks for being here and take it away, Scott. This has been Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff. Thank you for listening. Be sure to join us next time where we will interview another amazing guest who is sure to make you laugh or make you think, or hey, maybe even both. But until then, keep being awesome.